listening to Raices Verdes, a platform dedicated to validating, archiving, and sharing the experiences of Black, Indigenous people of color, and other marginalized voices in connection to the environment. My name is Samar Almonte, and I acknowledge that I am recording on Nooksack Territory and the Lummi Nation, which are part of the Coast Salish Tribes, also known as Bellingham, Washington. And our guest today is actually recording from Lenape Territory, also known as the Bronx, New York. I'm super excited. This is the last episode in the series of Faith and Green Roots, focusing on black and brown Muslim women in the work of sustainability. So today I have Kajia Tu, is it Balde? Uh Balde is a 22-year-old black Guinean-American Muslim woman. She's a social architect with a passion for BIPOC community-based sustainability and entrepreneurship rooted in Islam. She is a lifelong learner and has been doing so since her years in Guinea, West Africa, to her undergrad, where she co-founded the first Muslim Student Association and served as the first Muslim president of her student government. Upon graduating last May, she worked with 12 different nonprofit organizations as a diversity in arts and leadership intern, where she learned the importance of BIPOC solutions and leadership that led to her creation of Faithfully Sustainable. Additionally, she's a senior community associate at WeWork, where she curates inclusive creative spaces for entrepreneurs like herself and is preparing for her master's in social enterprise administration at Columbia University this fall. Hi, Kaja, too. Hello. You have done. (laughs) Thank you. You've done so much. I feel like there could be so many other things I could be talking to you about from all the work you've done. Oh, no. (laughs) Just a bunch of things here and there. (laughs) You know, just casually changing the world. (laughs) I love it. Well, you know, I guess just to get to know you more, um, before we kind of dive more into the specific questions, like when you first heard maybe the term raices verdes or green roots, like what came up for you? What are your green roots? So a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think this is like a very interesting question. Um, and I've actually been pondering upon it for, like, quite some time. Um, and so I think about it from, like, both contemporary times and, like, the beginning of time. <laughs> um, and I come to it from, like, a traditional indigenous and Islamic perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, in terms of, like, the Islamic perspective, like, there are two parts of the Quran, which is our holy book, that I think about this um, from. So there's a part in the Quran where, like, God says, like, we created man from sounding clay, from mud, molded into shape. And another part, he repeats again, um, and we did certainly create man out of clay from an altered black mud. Then we placed him as a sperm in a firm lodging. Then we made the sperm drop into a clinging claw and we made this claw into a lump of flesh. And then he goes into this whole, like, our modern, modern understanding of, like, the, you know, the biological understanding of the creation of the embryo, right? Mm. Wow. <laughs> and then, like, yeah, and, and so, and then, like, so from these Islamic stories, like, going back to, like, the whole clay part of it, um, so the origin of this clay is known to come from the earth. Um, and so Allah, God, ordered one of the angels to gather all different types of the earth's soil, the black soil, the white soil, the red soil, and all the colors in between these colors, um, including the soft soil and the firm soil. And then the angel took a handful from all of these different kinds and brought them to paradise. 
and then the soil was mixed with water of paradise and from this mixture the shape um and the creation and the formation of adam which is known as our prophet um mm. and the first man um was formed so like this like under like this historical understanding like like it's it's just it was very shocking to me but it's also like it, it grounds me in my understanding of like what this definition of be of the green root really comes from. The idea that human beings have a fundamental attachment to the earth. Earth is literally part of our creation story, and so when I think about my root, I I sort of go way back to that time um, and how the very nature of humans is attached to this earth. Um, and then from, for contemporary times, like I'm from West Africa, the Flanagan tribe of, um, of West Africa, um, and we are a nomadic group of individuals who have literally depended on the earth and its resources, like from the beginning of time, right? Um, and our people sort of have been surviving off of cattle farms, and you know we are gifted in ways to care for it. Um, and so that's the, that's the kind of family that I come from, a family of farmers. Um, and until like you know migration and a few development de- developmental changes, like our people did not have technology, and we just lived like you know we just lived naturally um, using what we had from nature. Um, and so till this day, like I, I I am most calm when I'm surrounded by greenery and nature. And I really think it's because of the very nature of the way that my ancestors have, you know, have lived, if that makes sense. No, definitely. And it's so interesting when you were, um, you know, like sharing the creation story from Islam. Um, I was really thinking, and I brought this up to Zainab too, that, you know, maybe I wonder if there's more connections between indigenous creation stories, like especially here in Turtle Island, to Mm -hmm. islam because Mm -hmm. islam has been such an old religion right like it's so much older than christianity than catholicism so much older than like as we know uh, colonization you know and so when you were like talking about uh being formed out of the clay like i'm pretty sure it's the mayan one of the mayan uh like uh narratives and creation stories that i heard was that like their god also tried to make people out of clay out of these different things but what worked for them was making people out of um, corn. So that's why a lot of like indigenous uh, tribes or people from the Mayan community and just kind of that general area will sometimes identify as people of the corn, you know, gente de maíz. And it's because um, their creation story is based on being built out of corn husks. But that was very similar to what you were just reciting about being made out of clay. And so I think that's just such an interesting connection on like how different parts of the world and creation stories are so similar and i think it's because of how old they've been in this world absolutely like i totally agree like that's i think that's the beauty of history to be honest um and the, the beauty of consistent history mm. um which is why i'm saddened by the fact that like i personally like have not totally explored like indigenous knowledge and i really am trying to in these next few years mm. of my life right. um but i think that like these things are so connected and the reason why i'm super connected to islam is because like the the quran itself has been around for over 1400 years you know and so i appreciate the consistency of the quran the fact that it has not changed for so long um and so with that i also think that you know it's from the hadiths and like you know the hadith as, as Zainab explained to you is like the words and sayings of the prophet muhammad mm-hmm. um and so to me like it's so beautiful that these words and teachings um from both the hadith and the quran um and just ways of life that those people from back then have stayed consistent throughout his islamic history 
Um, and I think a lot of like the wisdom that it brings just like takes us back to like our creation story. It takes us back to sustainability in itself. You get what I mean? Yeah, um, no, definitely. I really do think I really do think they're inherently like connected, and I want to explore indigenous knowledge to see how perhaps like all of these are connected, mm-hmm. um, and maybe to see like you know. I don't know because I don't know like in terms of like Islamic history and where people were based and everything. Um, I think there are people who are placed in different areas, but I still like to see like how how similar the knowledge that is um, that exists. Yeah, no, definitely. And I feel the opposite way where I feel like now I'm like learning a lot more about Islam and how that connects to the earth. And I think that's been really cool, too, because, yeah, like I was in such a bubble, you know, like I said, growing up Catholic and stuff like my whole world of the understanding of creation was like Adam and Eve and very much like the Bible kind of situation. And so it's been really great for me to expand my thinking. And as I connect to my own indigenous roots, when it comes to spirituality, it's been really cool to just see how all of this is very much interconnected. But I guess before we like come back kind of more to focusing on Islam and that influence with your work, like in general, how did you, like what has been your journey like in the work of sustainability? Like what does that look like for you in understanding sustainability? I guess in the less religious aspect, like how have you been involved or grown through that? Yeah, so I, I mean, for me, honestly, it's sort of really hard to disconnect it from the religious aspect because mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, it is that part of me that has brought me into sustainability. Um, but in terms of like actively participating in a sustainability movement, it sort of began with thrifting. <laughs> um, and like I, like when I was there my last year of undergrad, which was last year, <laughs> I was so like, actually last two years, I was so like, I, I was sort of just like taking a step back and trying to be more intentional, like intentional about like the way that I live my life. Um, and that was brought about from a deep reflection from like Islam, which is uh, what am I doing to myself? How am I taking care of myself? And how do my actions impact um, the people and the planet? Um, and, and things like that. And so once I started thinking more about that, um, and I wanted to develop like changes, like small changes from there that I could keep consistently, um, to sort of just like be like, you know, ease my own mind and mm-hmm. also do good. Um, and the easiest way for me to do that was through th- thrifting. Um, cause I, I, I'm a fashion lover, like everything <laughs> fashion, like I love, um, and I love shopping. Um, it's something that like my family <laughs> is just like my sister. I grew up watching her like buy a million clothes and like style them in many different ways. Um, and so I, 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 I just grew up loving um, fashion. And I actually before like when I was younger, I went to become like a fashion designer and a model who sort of like modeled her own designs. Oh, yes. um, and so I've been obsessed with it. But upon just learning more about the fashion industry, I found out um the, the horrors that exist in that, you know, right. um, in terms of like the pollution, in terms of like, you know, what it costs our environment, like it's the second um, polluter in the world. Do you get what I mean? So it's like, it's really, it's, it's, it's major and it's something that is impacting our everyday life. Um, and unless there are changes made within that, like it's just going to continue harming us. And then from the labor perspective of it, I was really shocked to find out that, you know, there are people out there like, you know, I was learning from the Garment Worker Center and other individuals, um, learning about how 
literally like what we buy learning about the experiences that they go through um in these factories um learning about the you know the wages that they make and just thinking about all of that and then thinking about the fact that i was actively participating in this in this system that was degrading people my people it just hurt me so much um and i felt that i had to do something about it and the way that I was doing that at the time was through thrifting. Um, and of course, now I'm trying to do that through Faithfully Sustainable, where we bring about more, well, we collectively learn about sustainability mm-hmm. um, from a BIPOC, um, BIPOC-based understandings and knowledge. Right. And I think, yeah, what you said, like when I asked first this question, like um, your religion has always been intersected with your sustainability work. So I guess, do you want to talk more about how, Islam has influenced then your sustainability journey, whether it's been just with clothing or with other aspects. Like, how has that journey been for you? Yeah. Um, so, like I said, like, I feel like it it influences every part of it. Like, it, it literally intersects with everything. And I actually feel that, like, Islam itself can stand for sustainability because of the wisdom that it teaches about justice and um and environmental justice in particular so the three things that i'll talk about now though is that like you know number one is complicity is not an option in islam and so as muslims we cannot like not say anything about injustice like we literally have to stand firmly against it it is an obligation um there is this saying um this is hadith from the prophet muhammad where Salawasalam means peace and blessings be upon him, um, where he says, Oh, my servants, I have forbidden injustice upon myself and have made it forbidden amongst you, so do not commit injustice. And then he also says, Whoever witnesses something evil, let him change it with his hand. If he is unable, then with his tongue. And if he is unable, then with his heart. And But that is the weakest form of faith. So all of this is saying that as a Muslim, you cannot be a bystander to injustice. As a Muslim, you it, it is your it is your duty to do something when you notice that there are things that are going wrong, um, and when you notice that things that are harming people and things that are harming the planet. And there are of course more instances where the Quran and the Hadith even go you know um, talk about the environment and our duty to it. Um, but I think it's just really important to understand that complicity is not an option and that in itself has, has activated me into making sure that whatever work I do stands for justice and it, and it actively participates in dismantling whatever it is that is causing this injustice. Um, and number two is we have a duty to this plant, to this earth, um, which I kind of like, sort of like mentioned already, but like this duty that we have to the earth is something that is like it, it's a responsibility um and it's something that is literally like it's a part of our faith um there's this like understanding where like um where i forget where where, where it, um, it came from but like um from islamic sources i've read that allah created all other kinds of creations before he created humankind so mm-hmm. he created water the air, the heavens, the earth, the trees, the mountains, the valleys, the animals, and even like the small insects that we have, those were all created before man. And like, I think it's so important to ponder upon, like upon this like particular thing, because it's like, 
we came after all of this and now we are the ones that are causing harm to this like that in itself is a form of injustice we are disrupting the balance the mizan that um zainab might have mentioned in the previous um in the previous podcast we're disrupting the the imbalance the balance that allah has already created on this earth um and that's and that's something that we should really, really be shameful about um especially because of everything that this earth provides for us, the air that we breathe. We literally cannot survive without this oxygen. We can't, we can't. Um, and everything else that I, everything else that exists there. And then number three for me is like this whole idea of duty rather than service. Um, because like, I think like I've been, I've been thinking about this a while, um, but especially in the work that I'm doing right now, it's faithfully sustainable this idea of like you know servitude or doing something for someone um i think it's something that like has like i'm i'm slowly changing my perspective to it because of islam um and instead of doing something to help like to help people um like i'm trying to do it from a perspective of this is my responsibility it is my duty it's not something that i am doing um, you know, like it's not, it's not, I'm not, not trying to, like, I'm not trying to, like, liberate somebody. They're right. already, like, I feel like in many ways, like, I'm not trying to empower somebody. In many ways, they're already empowered. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing, I'm just seeing an injustice and trying to uproot that injustice because it is my duty, it is my responsibility from God. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like I see kind of the difference between like saviorism, right? Like yes, this very yes, like yes. this very saviorist like complex of like I'm saving people, I'm speaking for people versus like what you're talking about seems a lot more like I'm doing this because like you said, it's been told to me through my religion, through, you know, my people and my indigenous people. Like it's a responsibility to stand in solidarity, to stand and like if I'm not if the person next to me is not free, then like I'm not really free, you know? And so that's kind of the way I'm understanding it from you is like going away from that saviorist complex, which we see so much in like one, obviously white culture, but you know, sometimes even us as like BIPOC can like replicate some of that saviorism, especially if we have some sort of privilege or education, we feel like we're in a position to save other people. Absolutely. And it's like, we really can't like, (laughs) you know, all we can do is do our part um and honestly from my perspective islamic perspective all we can do is do our part and leave the rest to god um this is this is a responsibility we're not you know like this is a responsibility no definitely um so yeah i guess thinking more about you know your identity um outs like uh, and I don't want to say like outside of like Islam as in like it's not connected, but, you know, thinking about um, your racial identity, your ethnic identity, like as a black Muslim, like how do you feel the connection between like black liberation and not just the way it's happening, you know, in this current moment, but as a, as it has historically been happening, like the movement for black liberation, how is that connected to sustainability, to Islam, you know, to all these other parts of you? Yeah, I think it's inherently connected. Um because I, like, you know, I, I'm from West Africa, guinea Conakry, like I mentioned, and West Africa is one of the countries where many of the enslaved individuals and my enslaved ancestors were brought from. Um, and, like, living in America here, like, you just, like, you see, you, you see how racism, um, you see how racism is a part of literally everything. 
you get to understand systemic racism from a different um, from a different perspective. And being a black person is something that you sort of it's something that you sort of just like you you undergo and it's something that it's, it's really scary honestly um but i, I think like the, the root cause of all of this is of course white supremacy right mm-hmm. um and white supremacy is deeply deeply rooted in my ancestry ancestry and present life experiences um actually all of our experiences um and <laughs> like in the coming in the next few days or possibly even tomorrow we have a post um from faithfully sustainable that's titled white supremacy is not sustainable yeah um and it details out like the amazing work from people like karifa uh, anthony karifa rogers right from cja which is the climate justice alliance mm-hmm. and kriti Conco from boundless in motion and dr robin d'angelo who wrote the book white fragility oh yeah um and they're honestly like saying everything that has to be said right now um and i'll just summarize a bit they're saying that like essentially white supremacy is the root cause of the climate crisis 100 um, it's, <laughs> it's the reason why we have a need for a sustainability movement um and it's so important to talk about this to talk about the connection of black liberation and the climate crisis because white supremacy is at the root of all of that um and so in highlighting the political and economic system that impacts BIPOC's ability to access health services land rental homes like away from pollution jobs and careers um an uncolonized mind like and the financial capital for us to even like to create or grow our own businesses it's so important um and at the root of all of that is literally white supremacy um and so we we have to talk about this connection to understand how white supremacist culture has been justified and how it has been inf- like fil- um fil- not filtered but like how it has infiltrated um every part of our society um and so i think that you know as a as a black person um you know like not just as a black person but as a person who understands how systems work and who understands the the true history of colonialism um and you know and, and white supremacy like it's something that you know that it's inherently like you cannot disconnect from the sustainability movement because without the, the, the horrors and the dangers that white supremacy is causing, we would not be where we're at right now in, in, the, in the climate crisis. Definitely. And I feel like I've been feeling some kind of way about seeing all these like articles now in very mainstream like platforms, you know, like the New York Times, like the Guardian, whatever, that say things like racial justice is climate justice, da da da, and are kind of presenting it as like this newfound, like, see, like, I don't know, just like a newfound connection. And I'm just like, there's okay, cool. Like, I'm glad some of y'all are getting to that point now where you're realizing this, these things. But there's been some of us who've been thinking about this since like the day we were born, you know, and like saw these like connections since like we were like able to understand, like, like you were saying, like how our parents couldn't rent in certain places. Therefore, we live closer to these things. Therefore, we couldn't afford this food and this and that. And so I'm just kind of like, I'm glad that some white people are finally like putting those two connections and like seeing exactly what you said. White supremacy is why we have climate um, injustices. But at the same time, I'm like, you're kind of late to the party. (laughs) 
Like a lot of yeah. us already knew and been knowing and talking about this and people even older than you and I, right? Like people have been writing this for a while now, like researching this. Yeah. So I'm just a little yeah. like annoyed. I don't know. I'm just kind of like unimpressed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I like I'm in the same boat, honestly. Like and I'm the, the, the reason why I'm in the same boat is like aside from the fact that like this is knowledge that should be known. Yes. It's the fact that I myself was not fully aware of the words to use the hurt that I was experiencing exactly. and also the knowledge like or, or just the information and the root cause like just the information about like what's happening to my community I was not like fully aware of it and I, because and what I mean by that is like first like there are many people and I think some many black people are just black communities in general can relate to this is that sometimes to experience something but you don't exactly know what it is that you're experiencing um, and how that is harmful to you and how that is a result as to why you are the way you are in many ways, why you have the traumas that you have, um, why your community is in, is, is, is in a certain way. You don't really understand that. And a huge reason why we don't understand that is because that knowledge has been left out of our textbook, conversations that we had growing up in high school. Um, and many of us did not even know about these things until we went to college or social media, like, you know, the, this Black Liberation Movement or the Black Black Lives Movement, so it's like uprising. We had not been fully aware of it because it was kept away from us. So we were experiencing certain things, um, but, but, but we, we had no language, we had no... We had no resources or words to use to explain our despair. Um, and I think that in itself is a hurt that I'm like, <laughs> that I'm like frustrated from. Um, but I'm really glad that there are more black people who are, you know, BIPOC communities who are sort of like, you know, writing more um, and really like, you know, increasing our awareness of uh, the injustices that are happening. Like, I feel like. I just started learning about this, mm -hmm. um, even though I've been experiencing it for like all of my life. I'm just starting to understand what I've been experiencing. Right. Um, and I'm really, really grateful um, to people like Anthony um, Kerfer Rogers, who I highly recommend to check out. Um, and influencers like Dominique Drayford um, and other individuals who are really like increasing our collective awareness of what's happening um, and why we are the way we are um, and why we're experiencing the hurt that exists and why we have a, a climate crisis. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I always like to bring up also my mentor, uh, Dr. Uh, Veronica Vélez, and she always talks about, um, like, you know, we, we theorize from the flesh, right? Like, we our theory about life, about white supremacy, like, we don't need to do it with words. We don't need to do it with, like, you know, writing down these things, but it can just be from the flesh, like, from lived experiences. That too. Yeah. And she also, <laughs> you know, tells me that, like, Sometimes you need, like, it's painful, but you need to name that pain. Like, you need to name it as it is, like, white supremacy, you know, patriarchy, whatever it is. You need to name that in order to heal it. Like, you need to name your pain and understand it. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, she's been my mentor since my first year of college. And I was like, yes, that makes sense. Because, like, you said exactly, like, it's hard to sit with all these feelings, this trauma, and not know where it's coming from, not know how to, like, say it. And once you can name it, there's power in that. And then I feel like once you can name it, then you can be like, okay, these, this is how I decolonize. This is how I, like, take away patriarchy, you know, or whatever. And so, so yeah, I think it's definitely important to, like, let ourselves be okay with, like, just learning these things. Because, you know, now that just means we're closer to a journey of, like, healing and letting go of that trauma. Or at least that's the way I see it. So I'm also excited for all, like, the 
the different BIPOC, the different black people that are really speaking on these issues. Um, and, you know, there's been people who come on this podcast and are like, oh, I've been kind of interested in starting my own podcast, but like, I don't know. And I was like, no, do it. I was like, we right. just, we need more BIPOC accounts, more BIPOC writing, more BIPOC podcasts. Like, I just want us to drown out all these white voices that saying the same thing or not really bringing anything new to the table. Yes, we need it. Like, we are desperate for it. We don't have enough. So whoever's listening to this and second think, second guessing yourself, just do it. Like, you know, we need it. Like, the, like what we have right now is just so extremely, like, whitewashed. And we don't need those voices no more in this game. Like, we need people who are the front, you know, the people who are experienced in this at the forefront. People who have been fighting for this in many ways. And even if you don't think you've been fighting for environmental justice, for sustainability... Think really deeply. Look into your history. Look into your ancestry and look into the way that you have been living because just your ex life experiences in itself could have been like a war that you've been fighting. You get what I mean? Yes. Like surviving as a BIPOC in this society, um, in this community is in itself a form of resistance. Um, and all, you know, if you're looking for the right words to use to do that, that exists. We have that, you know, and there are people like, like I mentioned, Anthony Rogers, um, Dominique Drakeford and many other activists and the, the work that we're doing at Faithfully Sustainable and we're trying to equip our community with more of the language that the sustainability movement has and so if you're looking for that you can also find that so there's room for you <laughs> yes so yeah I guess on that note do you want to add anything else about this platform you co-created Faithfully Sustainable um, I know Zainab talked a little bit about it but of course I want to get like your own perspective on like why this platform is so important or if you want to add anything else that you kind of are hoping to do with this platform yeah so faithfully sustainable was kind of like our baby right now <laughs> um and like honestly like it's it's a journey um and personally for me it's like a learning journey you know because like like many people um i've also like i started like you know getting more involved in this in this movement um about a year or two ago um like actively involving myself and trying to like you know bring about actions to or solutions to the sustainability movement um and it was born out of like our collective eagerness like my team's eagerness to be stewards of BIPOC people and our planet um and so we it's led by individuals who are devoted to collective learning are honestly unlearning at this point <laughs> um who want to create like you know um environmentally just um bipoc environmentally just communities um by our own means and so going back to this idea of how like you know there's still a lot of room for creativity and there's still a lot of room for um different BIPOC communities to do work in environmental justice like there's a lot of room um and our work is particularly focused to um you know towards the muslim community um and we're really just trying to like you know we're really just trying to create an environment where we can learn about environmental justice name things how they are and bring about solutions that could help um you know to help create um more just um communities yes definitely and i think again that is just another needed platform because there isn't enough and you know that's exactly how i came across um y'all's work and so i think it's important to have like these accounts and these platforms and to like you said not second guess and the kind of content we want to put out there like 
Just even, you know, our day-to-day thoughts are so important and so worthy of a space all the time. absolutely. And it's like, honestly, like, the 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 beauty about, like, starting something, uh, even when you don't fully know everything about the territory that you're sort of, like, going into, is that you learn in the process. You know, you get to meet many people. I got to meet you, and I was like, (laughs) that's amazing. Um, And I got to learn a lot from your platform. Um, and I got to meet many other individuals who are working in sustainability, which to me is a, is a, it's a major win, you know, no, um, and once you infiltrate this kind of like environment, you get to see that, you know, perhaps there are like, you know, like there are people um, who look like you who are doing this work um, and then you can just act to that collective, um, you know, greatness or eagerness to do, you know, to do just work and that can be the start of something new and that can definitely be the start of like uprooting this white supremacy culture that we have um because quite honestly the sustainability movement is just it's too whitewashed and i can't say that enough like they're like we just need more BIPOC organizations yes. uh, or BIPOC people who are invested in trying to you know support communities who are doing this work Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And I mean, I've only been around for like about a year, just like at the beginning of June, I hit um, a year from the podcast. And yeah, like you said, I've been meeting so many different people. And like, and it was even cool. Like when I started the account, I was like, wow, there's a lot more accounts to follow than I expected, because I really thought it was going to be like five other like, or, you yeah. know, like very, very few, very few like BIPOC. I thought it was going to be the same people over and over that I would keep seeing. And, you know, yeah. it's just like there's so many. And I, I love when I find a new account. That I'm like, oh, I didn't know this person was doing this or I didn't know this like information. So, yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. I think it's like it is really cool to start fresh and just be there with people that have started fresh. Like, you know, I will like in a year be like, yeah, I was kind of, you know, following them since they started. And like, there's people who've been following my journey since it started. And so it's just cool to see like all those like little beginnings and see where all these go. And I know I'm like excited. I was like just telling my partner last night too. I was like, I can't wait till we can actually travel and go to New York and I can meet these people in person. Absolutely. Like, I'm super excited for that. <laughs> yes. I'm just like, I just need COVID to go away so I can meet all these cool people in person. <laughs> honestly, like, then honestly, like, there's so much magic that's being built right now digitally. Like, I can't, like, I can't imagine, like, what it's going to look like once all of this is over. Like, I, I really, like, I'm an optimist. <laughs> yes. We <laughs> need like, that. My... We need that, girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 kind of like good and bad at the same time um but i really do see like you know positive change happening um and so and i think like you know once this pandemic sort of like rolls over perhaps hopefully it would have you know i guess elevated our understanding of you know what you know what environmental justice really means and how these communities and the communities who are impacted the most um and will really like you know lead the way to us actually trying to have a more intersectional way of dealing with sustainability and the overall climate crisis Definitely. So I guess on that note, too, like, since you are an optimistic, I want to hear, you know, your thoughts, like, what, what do you envision? Or what would you like to see for the future of black and Muslim, you know, and like sustainability, people that are want to do this work that are black and Muslim? Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there are many things. Um, but I think, like, first of all, it's important for me to acknowledge, like, the people who have been doing this work, right? So I think Zaina mentioned to you, actually, about, like, Ibrahim Abdul-Mateen, um, who wrote the book Green Dean. Yes, I really um, want to order the book now because I think it will just give me a deeper understanding as well. As someone who, like, didn't grow up in, like, the Islam faith, I think it will be good for me to, like, 
I just understand some more of those connections that you all have been talking to me about. Absolutely. Like, because, like, he, like, his his book really, like, is, like, the blueprint for our organization. Um, and I think it's important to acknowledge people like him who have been doing this work since, like, forever, you know. And then we have individuals like Ilhan Omar and her daughter, Issa Hersey, um, who are just, like, leading, who are leading this, um, this environmental justice movement in many ways. Um, and in the areas that they're working, whether they're urban strategists or, you know, actual, you know, like congresswomen, yes. um, they're all leading this work in many aspects. And I think it's important to acknowledge that. And so my goal or like what I envision in the next few years is that more and more black, indigenous and POC individuals, Muslims included, um, you know, become a part of become a, a core, become the center of this movement. You know, because the, the, the truth of the matter is, like, in terms of um, damage and in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the hurt that's going to come, we are going to be the communities that are going to be feeling it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think based on that understanding, just by, by logic alone, that should mean that we're also the people who are leading this movement. Um, and so my hope um, with, with Faithfully Sustainable is that we create um, more, more radically, like, you know, um, more radically woke Muslims who understand, like, who understand what environmental justice is, who understand the hurt that's been done to their community, who understand the root cause of the problem, and then for all of us together to collectively become stewards of people and planet. Um, and so I really think it's going to happen. Um, and yeah. <laughs> no, I love it. I love to hear it. Radical woke Muslims. That is what the world <laughs> needs. And we're here for it. And more BIPOC in the environment. And I'm yeah, it's exactly what I envisioned as well. And I'm really excited for that intersection and like you said there is already so much beautiful work happening and I'm really glad actually for this uh, conversation with you today because I was feeling a little drained like this week and I was like I don't know you know like it's getting like a little hard sometimes so this also restores some faith in me that I'm like yeah you're right we are we've been doing this work we're in a journey like it's gonna be okay It's gonna happen, dude. Like, and even like this conversation alone. Like, I'm a huge believer that like dialogue is one of the best ways to like to make changes. Yes. Um, and so I think the podcast that you're having right now, it's just like it's it's gonna it's it's like a bundle of knowledge. You know, it's a bundle of resources that you're creating that's gonna have some sort of effect. If anything, it's gonna change at least one person's mind or make somebody aware of something that they that they did not know before. Um, and so, of course, I think like the changes, like the real changes are going to be the systems level changes where policy has to like, like, like fully radically transform. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think collective or just like general, like, you know, like awareness, like um, in terms of like decolonizing our minds and really just allowing our like overall collective con- consciousness to be more awakened or awoke. I don't even know. Um, <laughs> it's, it's also really crucial. Um, and I think that's the work that you're doing right now. And that's the work that we're doing. Um, and hopefully all of this will either inspire or even lead us to be the people who are making policy changes soon. Yes, I agree. I think that's definitely and I'm also starting like as I become older, I'm not even that old, you know, but still like I think about I think about the youth, right? Like I think at the end of the day, like youth are going to lead this work. So I also think about that, too. Like, how am I? making this work accessible for youth? How am I reaching youth? Because like, at least for me, I just know that younger Samara needed a lot of this mentoring, younger Samara needed a lot of this knowledge. So I always think about, you know, what are the youth needing right now? Like, what can I give for them? 
Yeah. I mean, we're still young, so we, like... <laughs> We know, like, you know, how our people think. I know. You know I just mean? feel like I'm in that awkward, like, am I a youth? I'm technically an adult, <laughs> but I don't want to adult things. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, I feel the same exact way. I'm like, okay, I think I should, like, acknowledge the fact that I am just 22, you know? Right, um, yeah. And, like, it's important because I think, like, that identity in itself provides perspective on how to converse with people like us. Because I don't think, like, I think all generations, like, you know, we have political leaders like Bernie Sanders. Right? Like, I think, like, I think he gets it. Uh, but I also think it's important for even younger individuals to be a part of this whole collective, like, building on this collective movement. You know, that's why, like, AOC is, like, my girl. Like, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Yeah, and like, she's and she's from y'all's like you know y'all's like backyard too, so you know. Yeah, because like just look at our platform. Like, look at how she engages with people. Like right now, like we need people who know how to engage with us on that level. Like yeah. those Instagram stories of her sharing, like answering questions. Like that's like it's might be like it might be seen as small, but that's like hella impactful. Because yeah. just think about how many people are on social media more than they read the New York Times. Definitely. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like like the culture, like just a huge culture shift that's like here. Um, and we like you know we are the people who are young and also doing the work. I think it's it's so crucial that we continue in the way that we are and we try to not change ourselves to make us become like the older individuals who have been doing this work, but just mm-hmm. take the lessons that we're getting from them and see how we can you know we can work with our own ideas um, to create new changes. Um, and to find new forms of communication. Yes, definitely. I think like those are just shifts that are happening. And I, I think I also mentioned in one of the previous podcasts, I feel like we're kind of in a second wave of environmental justice, it feels like to me. Because yeah. as I read like the work of older folks in this work, I'm like, thank you for opening that door. Thank you for opening that window, you know, whatever. But I think we're ready to build a whole new house for ourselves. Like we don't need to like, you know, go to the white man's house and like sit at their table and like no, be part of it. Like, you know, like, I just feel like some of us are beyond the assimilation part and, like, integrating ourselves to white spaces. Like, we're creating our own, right, as we're seeing. And so I love that. I love, like you said, we're taking knowledge from that time. And, like, again, thank you. Because of them, we're able to do this work now. But it's, like, it's time for just, like, radicalizing, like, 100% the whole ass system. Absolutely. Like, hell yeah, break the system down. Break that shit down. (laughs) Yeah, burn it all down. We don't need another shit. Nah, but, like, a point that you, like, just touched on, like, assimilation, Yo, I think, like, I think, honestly, like, Zainab and I were actually talking about this also. Like, I think it's one of the the reasons why we were not, like, a part of this, like, whole movement as, like, you know, earlier. Because mm-hmm. many of us, like, you know, who were, who, are, who immigrated, I mean, I was born here, but, like, I still immigrated because I was raised in Guinea for, right. like, half my life. Um, so I was still brought here at some point when I was older. Um, and a lot of my earlier years was like just trying to fit into white culture, yep. like trying to fit into American culture. Um, and American culture literally is capitalism, like it's yes. consumption, <laughs> is like it's thinking that you need everything, you oh know, God, yes. like and whereas for our culture is like where we're from, even just being poor, like <laughs> yeah. you're taught that like like you know we, we never we never overuse anything really you know when it comes to food when it comes to our clothing we were we were not over consumers um and i think in trying to assimilate in trying to become something that in trying to be adopt to white culture and to america a lot of us lost our indigenous um roots our indigenous teachings 
um, and our cultural backgrounds that were already sustainable. And so I think that's what was preventing us from being where, where we're starting to get to now. And I think it'll come a lot easier if we go back to that as soon as possible. <laughs> yes, definitely. And again, I think like our generation, even if our parents felt like they couldn't ever go back to that lifestyle, like our generation's looking for ways to do that for them and for us, you know. So I think that makes me excited too. They're like, maybe my mom is like, yeah, I don't know if I'll go back to those ways, you know, just because they've been ingrained in the system for a while now too. Um, and yeah. that's like a whole nother conversation about immigrant parents, right? And the American dream. But um, yeah. but I feel like it, like we definitely have the means and the knowledge to be able to rescue some of that knowledge from our people and, and move it forward and keep it here as long as we can. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on the, this podcast. Do you have anything else you want to add, like last minute um, or any other names you want to drop of people you think should be named here or yeah, anything else you want to say? Um, yeah, like, so I I think, like, first of all, like, I forgot to mention, like, in the beginning, but, like, I come from parents who are, like, gardeners mm. um, and farmers, right? Um, and so I think a lot of my time, like, I, I really, I really would advise everyone to sort of, like, go back to your roots, like, start asking your parents more questions, start asking more questions to the people within your cultures, um, to really learn more because I feel like they like they should be our first form of like a first form of resource. And so I can't name my parents here because somebody would know them. Yeah. But like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go back to my parents and I'm gonna continue asking them more questions about why they've lived the way that they have lived and what are some things that they can teach me about sustainability. Um, and then in terms of other people, I highly, highly recommend y'all like to look into the people that I've mentioned. Um, and just to repeat, like, that's Anthony Rogers. Um, he's from the Climate Justice Alliance. Um, and then there are also other people who I believe it was um, Krichi Kanko, who's from Boundless in Motion. Um, read Dr. Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, <laughs> if you haven't already. Um, and, you know, and in, in terms of, like, influencers, um, I think the people from Sustainable BK, um, who I think Zainab also mentioned, right? Yeah. Um, like, Dominic Drakeford and Whitney McGuire, like, are really interesting people that I have been learning from a lot as well. Um, Aditi Meyer is also another person. Um, and <clears throat> other people include um, Ibrahim abdul Matin, who wrote the book, um, who wrote the book Green Dean, um, and many other individuals, like even younger people like Isra Hersey um, and other individuals that we even have like on our post for Black Muslims and sustainability. Yes. Um, highly recommend checking all of those individuals out because they each have something that we can learn from. Um, so, yeah. Thank you. And thank you all for listening to Raices Verdes. This is a podcast for healing our relationship to the earth as Black, Indigenous, people of color. And of course, to stay updated on future episodes and connect, um, just come to the Instagram at Nuestras Raices Verdes, the website NuestrasRaicesVerdes.com. And you can listen to all the episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, tune in at Raices Verdes. Thank you. Thank you.